The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, it, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he pinned me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name, that happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Gino Hernandez, I'm not going to let any man slap me in the face. That's why I tried to ram your face right through that turnbuckle. And believe you me, whether it's here, Odessa, Beaumont, somewhere in the valley, Westlaco, Brownsville, or maybe somewhere up north, it doesn't matter to me. I'll do the same thing to you again. If you think I'm just sitting here blowing wind out of my mouth, brother, you try me. Because it took me four years, four long, hard, difficult and a lot of tough men years to win this Southwest Heavyweight belt. And if you think for one minute I'm going to stand around and let somebody like you slap me in the face and then beat me in the head after the match is over and I beat you and let you get away with it, you're sadly mistaken. And I'll be glad to take you or any of the rest of these guys here on. Thank you very much, Scott, and good luck to you and Manny as you'll be going into the ring in just a little while. That's right. The Southwest Heavyweight Champion, Scott Casey, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned because the excitement continues right after right. this. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner here on the two-man power trip, the one and only J.P. John Paz. And in this feature episode today, we welcome back a former guest of the show who we had on towards the early to mid part of 2018. That time he was kind of putting a book together. This time he's here to talk about his book, One Last Ride. It is Cowboy Scott Casey 
joining us today for this feature episode and what is a, a very fun look into putting together a book of this caliber, talking about the concept, talking about the writing, and of course, how can we miss these the stories that are involved inside of this book and Scott Casey will be appearing at the gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you can head over to the website of Nick Massey, the co-author of one last ride with Scott Casey and his website, which is freewebstore.com backslash captains dash corner. There you can get all the signing times and all of the information that you will need to join everybody and their mother down at the gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina. But John, uh, you guys, you and Scott Casey did a very full-length interview during uh, the midpoint of 2018, but this time we're here to talk about the book. But cool to see how it went from a concept to a fully executed and published book all the way, uh, here we go, almost to the uh, the fall of 2019. So in about a year and a half time, a lot of stuff's gone on in the world of Scott Casey. Yeah, that's absolutely damn sure. He's doing the book tour, doing a bunch of book signings. And like you mentioned, definitely, definitely go to CowboyScottCasey.com and get your hands on One Last Ride, the autobiography, Tales of the Cowboy himself, Scott Casey. Very cool stuff. And like we talked to him at the interview, so many interesting little topics that are in this book that he talked about. He's such a straight shooter and he is so honest and he just throws it out there. It's almost not shocking, but it's almost like, wow, we're we're not going to, you know, you have to sift through any bullshit or any politics or any nonsense. We're going to really get down and dirty and we're going to talk about some topics that we probably either thought he would avoid, wouldn't talk about, would hide. But no, none of that talks about the heart attack, talks about steroids, talks about Dr. Sahorian, talks about the infamous Eugene. So many different things. Obviously, talks about Amarillo, talks about Houston, talks about Dallas, talks about his time in the WBF. Definitely, definitely, like the book says, one last ride. Well, it's one definite fun ride for sure. And if you're a true wrestling fan and, and you really want to know about one of the all-time greats, you're going to love this book about Scott Casey. And I just love that the tour is going well, the book signings are going well, and I love that there is very extreme interest in the book. Yeah, there really is. And the first time the book was really out there for the public was back in April, WrestleMania weekend, at our markout at the Meadowlands convention. And Scott Casey was there signing as part of the uh, the Football Meets Wrestling Connection. But the book itself, you know, being out there and being available online and written by our good friend Nick Massey, it's a really cool look into a guy that maybe you might not know too much about if you didn't grow up in that era where he was a big star. If you kind of caught on at the end of his time with the WWF, literally the last few years that he wrestled, then you wouldn't have known what he did in the other territories. And you get to hear all of the great stories from the book. But also here in this interview, you get a little bit of a snippet and a little preview of what there is to talk about. But I do love, you know, I, I love it and I hate it. I love that we talked about the WWF stuff because that's actually the first exposure I got to Scott Casey. But I hate the fact that that's what people end up kind of honing in on and that's what they think about and they want to talk about. Um, and it's good to hear that he kind of, you know, not that he didn't love it, he didn't necessarily hate it, but it just is weird to look back and see a guy who was that big of a star in other territories across the country be used in really a, just a, a small get-over role uh, at that point in WWF because he had name recognition. It's not like you wouldn't open a magazine and either see a picture of him fighting somebody or, or read a result where he wrestled somebody, you know, a prominent main event feud. 
And to kind of see him in that role that he was in in the WWF was a little weird. But so, like I said, I love that we talked about it, but I hate that we have to look at look back on that and put such a microscope on it because it's such a weird time, especially at the end of his career. Yeah, you know, it, we do definitely talk about a lot of WWF, and I feel like a lot of people want to talk about it because of that era and how big that era was and how it's you know cemented in our mind and in our brains and our memories forever and he was just a part of it like you said more of an enhancement role he was there for three or four years he really wasn't pushed uh, like he should have been it wasn't like when he was in world class and he's basically a god and you know feuding with everybody kabuki and, and john tatum and the midnight express and Cornette and all those awesome matches he did, had down there so it is interesting that he goes to WWF and like he says, he wasn't really part of the plan. He wasn't quote unquote figured in. So it is interesting that a, a legend and a big name like him was kind of just an afterthought in, in the WWF. And so many people were like, wow, okay, what about survivor series 88? He finally is, you know, getting on the pay-per-view. They're finally going to do something with him. And it's like, he says uh, in the interview it was really because Brian Blair couldn't make it. And Vince decided to put him on the show anyway. So it is interesting, his run there, but obviously he's got such strong history with guys like Hogan and Andre the Giant that you're going to want to pick up the book and read about his history with them. Obviously not only in the WF, but prior to that as well. And a lot of interesting little tidbits of him along the way. And you hear from a lot of his peers. So I think that is very, very cool as well. Yeah, and he mentions it about that Survivor Series 88, and he says you know, how Vince personally came up to him and said, you know, Brian Blair's not going to make it. We need you to be in, in this match, which ended up being, you know, the traditional uh, Survivor Series contest. And what he shares about that match, you know, if you're, you know, quote Mark, and you know who was in that match, and you've seen people writing about it online, you know where I'm going with this. And I don't want to spoil it, because it is a great part of the interview. But, you know, when you look at the uh, the combatants of the match, you look at the, uh, the heel side of things, it is an absolutely uh, ghastly stat it's one thing you don't want to look at especially when you can look at the babyface side and see the complete opposite one so i'll tease it i don't want to give it away but you know what i'm talking about and it's just it's an unbelievable uh, statistic and keep your ears peeled uh for that but john you know before we get into it and you can kind of throw it over to the interview give us the keys to the game here give us a little bit of uh, the inside baseball what can we look forward to here in this uh, this interview, talking about the book, and obviously we will see Scott Casey down at the gathering next weekend. But if you want to get your hands on this book, you want to meet Scott Casey, please come out. He is an unbelievably nice guy. It is going to be a wonderful weekend in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you can head on over to freewebstore.com backslash captains dash corner, and that's where you can get your ticket information, and you'll get be able to get the book on site. Um, as well as purchase it online, like John said, CowboyScottCasey.com. But, John, I'm going to hand it over to you. Give us some keys to the game, and then let's get it down one last road here, one last ride with Scott Casey. Love taking a walk down memory lane with Scott. Once again, we had him on in 2018. It's awesome to get him back on, especially focusing in on this book. We do talk about a lot of his old buddies as far as the legends of the business, the Manny Fernandez, the Brian Adias, the Tim Brooks of the world, the Eddie Mansfield, Dirty White Boy, Lynn Denton. Talk about all them. And not only that, a great story about Luthez, and then an even greater story about a recently departed Harley Race. So that is some great stuff that we do touch upon in the interview. Just absolutely love the talk about not only the WWF, 
talk about how he was training the Harlem Heat, Booker T, and Stevie Ray, and the respect that those guys still have for him to this day. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a little trip down memory lane. Let's take one last ride with the cowboy himself, Scott King. Streams are swollen, keep them doggies rolling right through rain and wind and weather, hell bent for leather, wishing my gal was by my side. All the things I'm missing, good fiddles, love and kissing, are waiting at the end of my ride. Move them on, hit them up, hit them up, move them on, move them on, hit them up, raw hide. Ride them in, ride them in, cut them out, cut them out, ride them in, ride Keep moving, 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 though they're disapproving. Keep them doggies moving, right. Don't try to understand them, just rope and throw and brand them. Hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, cut him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw Joining us on the line tonight is a former world-class championship wrestling television champion, a former NWA Texas heavyweight champion, and a SWCW world heavyweight champion. He's in for one last ride tonight, talking about his brand new book, One Last Ride. He is the one and only Cowboy Scott Casey. Mr. Casey, welcome back to the two-man power trip. Chad, it's a pleasure being on your show. Uh, As I told your partner there, I live down in Bigfoot country in Arkansas now. It's, as a matter of fact, as they say, I live so close to Louisiana, you could take a rock and throw it and hit Louisiana from <laughs> where I live. Uh, but anyway, it, it's a pleasure being on your show. I think a lot of people would like to hit Louisiana with a rock, so I think that's, uh, <laughs> that works out perfect. And it's a pleasure to have you back. The last time we had John, you and John did a full career retrospective, very informative and almost like the, uh, the perfect preview for your book, One Last Ride, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. And at the time, you were just, I believe, you were either in the middle of writing it with our good buddy Nick Massey, who we'll get into as well in a few minutes, but uh, it was basically in the early stages of getting the book together and to see how it has been released and like i told you as we got started we had you up at our show mark out at the meadowlands this past april uh, we co-promoted with nick in captain's corner and uh it's very cool when you see the book in your hand and you get to actually turn the pages of it so what has the book response been uh for you and have you enjoyed it thus far it has really i've been very surprised you know and it's just like i used to tell the kids that i taught how to wrestle i said 
I was honest in the book. I didn't throw anybody under the bus. I didn't talk about affairs with women or anything like that. I talked about wrestling and things that happened to me. And, uh, you know, you you tell it like it is and you don't lie. You know, they say a liar's got to have a good memory. Well, I got a great memory, but I'm not a liar. But, you know, (laughs) I mean, we just went from year to year to year, you know, and, uh, you know, like with uh, Nick. I mean, what a great guy he is. He has really helped me out with this book and helped me promote it. And uh, we just started off and it just kept on escalating, you know. So I'm happy with it. Yeah, and I believe at that show was the first time that the book had really been out there and uh, and really marketed at a show of that caliber. So it was really cool to kind of, like I said, get a chance to see it, hold it, thumb through it. And, uh, you know, really uh, drink it in and and having you on when we did back in the, I'd say, you know, about the spring of 2018, you know, how far it came is pretty remarkable. Uh, But those books that, like you said, when you tell it like it is and you don't go into the dirt, you just tell the truth. To me, those end up being the best books. Well, that's the way I look at it. You know, it's just like uh, when I taught uh, Booker T and Stevie Ray how to wrestle, you know, I told them, I said, look. And I looked him straight in the eye, and I said, people are going to call you the N-word. And I said, they're going to talk behind your back because you guys are so magnificent looking, you know. And they didn't know what they had as far as talent or or appearance until they had been in it for a while. I said, but uh, uh, like I said, uh, these guys, I I told them the truth. And uh, years later, they... It had flew me out to Las Vegas so they could be inducted into the Cauliflower uh, Alley Club uh, Association, I guess that's what you'd call it. And that was quite an honor for me, you know. But telling the truth never hurts. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. I mean, the Cauliflower Alley Club for them and also the WWE Hall of Fame for them. So obviously they started off at a uh, in good hands, and you saw them blossom, and obviously on the tag team end of things, became one of the best tag teams of the 1990s and one of the more revered teams of the 90s, breaking barriers left and right. But then Booker T himself becoming the icon that he became. I mean, he really transcended, I think, what anybody could have ever thought Harlem Heat was, and Harlem Heat was a pretty damn good tag team. Yeah, they were. And, uh, you know, what was very nice and humbling to me was that he always mentioned that I I helped train him, and, and that made me feel good. Not that I really cared if he said it, but it was it was very pleasant that he did, put in, you know, say that I helped train him. You know, and and because there's so many ins and outs of wrestling that people, even the people who say, okay, well, I'm smart to the business and everything, but there's so many technical things. You know, it's it, like one of my favorite sayings was, it's not what you do it's how you do it and then it's a catch-22 situation because it's how you do what you do you know but i mean it it makes a difference you know i i I, i'm going to kind of veer off of what we're talking about but i remember lou fez a world champion one time he's looking through the curtain and i walked up and i said lou what are you doing he said i'm watching the matches this was the second match and i said but you're a world champion why do you do he said scott you always learn. You can steal something from somebody and use it in your own repertoire. And he was honest with me, you know, and I never forgot that, you know. But uh, 
one of the few things you know you pick up in the business. If you talk to the right people, you'll learn a whole lot about this business that they don't even know. Uh, I mean, I say they, I mean the people that were not wrestlers but still think they know it all. They don't, you know, but that's the way it goes. <laughs> and if somebody like Luthez is sitting there and watching the matches uh, at the beginning of the night, then you know obviously that's something that is uh, – it's pretty important. And if somebody like Luthez and his stature and especially – uh, what he meant to the business, uh, it might make a lot of people around the room kind of turn their head and be like, well, maybe we should be doing what he's doing because he's obviously done everything right up to this point. I, After he told me that, I always, always watched all the matches, you know. And I stole a few things from guys that use it on my own. And uh, it never hurts, you know. I mean, you, you try to make yourself be put over with the people and that's how you do it you by doing being creative in the in the uh, the ring and and learning different things that you can do in the ring that you didn't think you could do or didn't know about to do so it was a lot of a lot of fun <clears throat> it's not stealing it's putting your spin on it that's uh that's how we get around the word steal <laughs> or borrowing with your own spin it's one of those uh it's those things where you can get creative. But, you know, I'm looking at the schedule that you had here, and you obviously you've been to New Jersey. You went back down to Texas for a book signing. You've been to Florida for a book signing. And then in a few weeks, we've got the gathering here in Charlotte, North Carolina, a show that John and I will be at and very happily uh, working that day. Uh, but it's another big stop on this book tour. So how has that been And getting out and seeing fans in different areas that you wrestled in and kind of, I don't know, I would think every fan base is a little different, but the book is what's driving them there. But how's the book tour been for you so far? Great. It's really, it really has, you know. And uh, you, I, I've been pleasantly surprised of the, the remarks and things. And you know what was really humbling was when your peers, guys like, uh, oh, Lynn Denton, uh, let me think for a second. When you get my age, you get these senior moments. So hold on for a second. I'm trying to remember. Uh, but you get guys that wrote things like Luke, uh, the Bushwhacker, uh, uh, Rudy Rodriguez, uh, just different guys that that the author put their spin on my profession and um, uh, or my personality or whatever into the book and it was very humbling you know i mean i i didn't get anybody that was mad at me and i i went to a dinner one time and these guys they said well did you who who did you not like or who did who was mean to you or something and i said nobody was i said because i treated everybody the way i wanted to be treated you know i mean i with respect you know it, it just it makes it a lot easier in life if you do things like that, you know. So I, I just was very happy with it. <clears throat> now, are the fans different in the individual markets? Because obviously in Florida, you know, they were married to uh, Eddie Graham and Championship Wrestling from Florida. And Texas, you know, we think about Southwest. We think about world class. Uh, have they cut? And obviously in New York, you know, we think of uh, obviously the WWF and, and the New York Territory. So have the fans been different in kind of the different book stops that you've been to? Well, I really wouldn't say they were different. I mean, because most of them are smart to the business, you know, and uh, they uh, they want to hear stories, they want to talk to you, and they want to see what you look like after 30 or 40 years, which, you know, <laughs> when you get to be an old man, you, you're an old man, and that's me now. But, I mean, I, I still, 
the people were have always been very cordial and nice to me, and I'm very grateful for that. You know, I I, I didn't have anybody come back on me and say, oh, well, you're the pits, or you did this or that, or you should have, or why didn't they do this to you, or whatever. You know, I, I just had a good time with it, you know, and, and the, the people have all been very nice to me so far. Of course, there's always somebody that might come up and say something. You never know, you know. Yeah, we don't want to say the, those fans in North Carolina. We don't want to say they'll be unruly. I'm sure that's going to be an amazing, dedicated fan base. Again, another segment, you know, almost like another territory of fans to get into. And again, the gathering coming up here in just uh, about a week, a week or so on our calendar. Uh, we'll be there with the uh, the co-author of the book, Nick Massey, who's a part of the Captain's Corner, uh, you know, memorabilia dynasty that he's got. And Nick taking on the writing role here has been pretty impressive to watch as a, as a you know peer of his, as a friend of his. How was Nick to work with in putting the book together and being able to tell him all these stories? I know you guys spent a lot of time on the phone going over these things. Oh, he's an unbelievable guy. He really is. He's a, he's a real gentleman, and he knows his business about the book, you know. And I sometimes say silly things to him, and he'll go, you're so stupid or so crazy because <laughs> the things you say that I wouldn't say over the air. But anyway, I mean, he he has been just very, and very professional, you know. He has orchestrated the book with the editors up there in I guess it's Connecticut where they they manufacture the books, but he they've done a really unbelievable job, and they threw in a lot of pictures that I haven't seen in years, and uh, it's been very nice, very humbling, and uh, I just like I said I can't say enough nice things about Nick because he is a real professional when it comes to what we did, and uh, God bless him, I just love him to death. <clears throat> I love about the book is like kind of the testimonials if you will from your peers and fellow wrestlers and you know other guys that i consider legends of the business but they speak about you so highly like brian adias eddie mansfield uh, like we said before len denton manny fernandez the dirty white boy i mean uh, killer tim brooks so it's very cool you get a lot of the you know old school legendary guys having a lot of positive things to say about you is that a humbling as well Yes, it is. And you mentioned somebody that I hadn't thought about in a, a couple of weeks was uh, Killer Tim Brooks. He and I used to go out and have some hellacious matches. And Tim's health is not real good right now. And I told him when I talked to him, I said, look, Tim, it seems like once a month one of us is dying off. I said, I know you got cancer and all that. And I said, but hang on for till I can come see you. We're going to be down in San Antonio and I'm going to stop off and see him. But uh, you talk, he was a rugged, tough SOB. I mean, and he, we just had so much fun in the ring together. I mean, we, we could, in the old days, I'd say we could start him off. It's like a story. You start him off, you tell things, and you, you, you reach a, a hill, and you go back down, you reach a mountain, you go up and down. And uh, we did that, and we just, the people enjoyed it. You know, we loved entertaining the people because obviously they wanted to come back, and obviously that's the way we made our living, you know. But And we worked hard at it. We really did. <clears throat> and it's pretty cool that you can kind of, you know, look back and, and obviously maybe these guys say some stories you haven't heard in a while or, you know, like you said, Tim Brooks brings up something and it brings up a great memory and you kind of put it in the book or, you know, share it with everybody. And that's got to be a pretty cool experience as well. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many memories that I, I, I tried to remember as many of them as I could, you know, and I left a few of them out and <clears throat> and uh, some for obvious reasons. But, uh, you know, it's <laughs> just like I always just always tried to, like I said, be honest with the people, and especially in the book, you know, I tried to tell them, you know, the things that were said, and a lot of them was completely really funny. I mean, like the story about me and Bruce Swayze and Brute Bernard and Sweet Hanson, when uh, Sweet uh, Brute's coming over the back seat to kill <laughs> uh, Bruce because he... <laughs> He kept saying from the day we walked out, I mean, from the time we walked out of the building, from the time we got to the 7-Eleven, and from the time we got on the highway, are we there yet? And you're looking at 440 miles from uh, up in the Norfolk, Virginia, down to Charlotte, North Carolina. I mean, it was a murderous, murderous uh, ride. But uh, back then, you know, you're, you drove everywhere. You know, nowadays these guys are flying everywhere. You know, but uh, it was, I mean, it, 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 I can just picture Bruce right now saying to Brute, are we there yet after about the 40th time and we're not even out of the city limits of uh, Virginia at Norfolk. <laughs> and, and he's throwing the bologna and cheese and mustard and beer up in the air. And he said, I kill you. He was French Canadian. <laughs> If it hadn't been for Sweet, he probably would have. But and Bruce is laughing so hard, you know. But uh, that's there was a lot of camaraderie. I don't know what kind of camaraderie these guys have nowadays. But I mean, we would have done anything. You know, you talk bad about somebody, you're going to have to put up with all of us. You know, and uh, it was Bruce was what our Bruce is still quite a character. You know, and anyway. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I love also in the book, it's kind of like what you're saying now, you know, you get a little, little stories, maybe little road stories, but then you have the cowboy takes where, you know, basically, I guess Nick just kind of gives you a name, he drops you a name and you give a good little brief description on each wrestler kind of thing. It's like, you know, he'll say Jimmy Cornette or, or Iceman King Parsons and boom, you get got a story about each guy so that kind of shows you you've been around the business for a long time and you pretty much know all the all the major players and, and some pretty big time legends in the business yeah i uh i always referred to wrestling as dancing i said i danced with all, all of them you know i mean guys like nick bockwinkle uh, abdullah the butcher andre the giant you know it just the list just goes on and on and on but when you've been in it for 20-some-odd years, you know, you're going to run across most of these guys. And, and some of them you don't ever – you see them once, you never see them again. And there's other guys, you see them and you say, wow, how you been? I mean, it's like you, you take up right where you left off the last time you saw them, you know. And there's been so many of them that have passed away, you know. I'm just like Harley Races last week. I, I just – oh, I'm just sick. You know, thinking about him passing away, a rugged, mean SOB that wouldn't take anything from anybody, loved the business, took tremendous bumps all the time. I'll tell you a quick story about Harley and I. I'm wrestling him one night, and he's got the belt. He's laying on his back on the floor. Now, picture this. One guy's holding his shoulders. Another guy has got his foot under one ankle, and he's rotating the other leg. 
and he did it both to both legs, so his hips would loosen up. We get out in the ring, and Harley says, all right, kid. He says, throw me in, duck under <clears throat> my clothesline, clothesline me over the top rope backwards, you know, which is something we always did. I said, Harley, I don't want to do that to you, man. You're, you, he said, if you don't, I'm going to beat the S-H out of you, <laughs> <laughs> and nobody will recognize you. So I did it. I mean, that's just the way Harley was. You know, he was... You know, it didn't matter. As long as he could loosen up, he was ready to go. And he performed like a pro every time, you know. Sure missing. And it, yeah, and it's interesting in the book, you kind of talk about Harley, but obviously at this point he was still alive. And even in the book you say, you know, something along the lines of, it's crazy that he's still one of the guys that's still with us that was a part of that Survivor Series 88. So that's kind of an interesting thing going back and, you know, looking at the book as well. I was talking to Merced Solis the other day. Or you guys would know him as Tito Santana. Yep. And mm-hmm. I said, and I, uh, he said, do you realize we had like an eight-man tag match on each side? And I looked at the picture of all the guys, uh, Andre, uh, Dino Bravo, yeah. Harley. And I said, do you realize they're all dead on that side? Every one of them. Not one guy that I worked with in that show. It was a Survivor Series. Mm-hmm. Not one of them was alive. And it was just, it was kind of freaky thinking about it to me. You know, and Merced Mer- said, said, yep. He said, I realize that too. So, But that's life. Ain't none of us going to make it out alive, are we? Yep, <laughs> that's true. Yes, you had Rick Rude, uh, Kurt Hennig, uh, all unfortunately passed away. But what a legendary, legendary team. Yes, it was really fun being in that. And it's so funny because up in New York, I wasn't a big uh, drawer or anything like that. I was just one of the girls in the show is what I used to say. <laughs> and and uh, we, uh, I forgot where I was going with this, but anyway, we had a, oh, the match, yeah, the, the, the tag match. I, I was there. And, uh, well, we all were at the show. It was a Survivor Series. And Vince walks up to me. He said, Scott, I need for you to work tonight. He said, Brian Blair won't make it. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to make a few extra shekels here. And uh, I did, you know. That's the only reason I was on that. But, you know, because I was never, as they said, figured in as one of their draw-featured guys, like Hogan or Savage or or a steamboat and somebody like that, you know. Not that I couldn't have done it. It just it wasn't in the cards, and I and I just wasn't part of it. But I was very pleased, pleasantly pleased that Vince would walk up to me and say, you know, I want you on this this uh, eight man tag. So that's how I got on it. Sorry, Brian, but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Great, very, very memorable match. So it's awesome to be a part of Survivor Series. Like you said, make a little extra shekels, make some extra money, and uh, obviously do it that way. But with the WWF, and obviously, you you know, there's basically a big chapter in the book. You talk extensively about it. Were you happy in the long run with the run you had in WWF? Yeah, it's just, I told somebody one time, I said, did you ever have a job that, you couldn't, you know, once you finish that night, you're out of work, and you get up the next morning, and you can't wait to get back in that ring, and they pay you for it. 
sometimes you didn't make a lot of money. Sometimes you made a whole hell of a lot of money. But it was it, it was a business that I dearly, dearly loved. And I worked out six days a week, hour to two hours a day for 20 years. Never missed. I don't care if I was blind, crippled, or crazy. I'd be in the damn gym because, I, number one, when I first started, I, I'm uh, being trained by Bobby Duncan, Dick Murdoch, uh, Duke Myers, Dory Funk Jr., Terry Funk. That is a whole mouthful of people that have great talent and that taught me. And uh, I just, uh, uh, let's see, where was I going with this? Anyway, I, the, I, I just, let me go veer off of that. I just dearly loved it, you know, that I could do something and get paid for it. And it's, you know, a lot of people go, you know, well, I got this nine to five job, you know, and I'm getting paid, but I really don't care for it. Well, I did. I loved every minute of it. But, uh, like, or like I was saying, the, 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 uh, uh, working out, I never missed a day for, except for Sundays. I wouldn't, I wouldn't work out on Sundays, but I, and I remember now what I was going to say. They, these guys say, well, you're never really going to be big enough or anything like that. You'll never do this or that. But uh, when I became a champion and a world champion and walked through the curtains at Madison Square Garden or the Cow Palace in San Francisco and all the big places, I thought to myself, all you doubting Thomases, take a look at me now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Because, you know, I was like five, ten and a half, five, eleven, maybe not. They billed me at six foot. But I was a solid 250. I worked out simply because I kept thinking in the back of my mind, them saying, well, you'll never be able to do it. You'll never do this or that. And so any of you people out there that want to wrestle, don't listen to what they say. Just get your ass together and keep working out, you know. And you want it bad enough, you can do it, you know. And that's the way I looked at it. And it is interesting as well in the book, you do kind of touch on, being 250 and being a little bit wider, maybe a little bit thicker, and steroids kind of playing a role, and that kind of being big in the WWF or as far as getting as big as some of those guys in the WWF. Talk about kind of opening up a little bit and maybe sharing some things like the steroids that maybe people wouldn't expect you to bring up. Well, you know, I it's yeah, I admitted it, I think, in the book, and I'll admit it now. I took steroids, and uh, you got to think of this. You're on the road, and if you're dedicated to what you do, you go to the gym, you work out, you pump yourself up. But uh, and, and I can tell now it took a toll on me, like in my joints, my shoulders, my hips, my knees, and things like that. But uh, there's no way I could have bench pressed 400 pounds 10 times like I did, and I got 30 guys that will tell you they saw me do it, you know, and, and it's just, you just, if you work out like we did or if you're on the road like that, you don't really get to rest properly. But if you're taking the steroids, it will mask a lot of pain and, I mean, a lot of things that it, you tear up in your body, you know. And I just, I had to do it, you know. I mean, it's just, I, well, you don't really have to do it. I take that back. I did it to stay in great shape and... uh it was just, it's like I said one time to a young guy, he said, well, did you ever take steroids? I said, yeah. He said, why? I said, well, you have a window in time in your profession and in your life that you can 
you can wrestle on one side of it. Then once you go through that window, you cannot come back and do it again. And, the, you know, you, you can try, and I've seen a lot of guys try and embarrass themselves because they kept trying when they shouldn't have. But uh, the window in time was I did everything I could possibly do to make to make people enjoy what I did. And uh, I, when I, I retired when I was 42, which was really kind of late. But it was my window in time, and I could not walk back through it and keep on keeping on, as Dusty Rhodes used to say to me, you know. But uh, that's just the the steroids helped me maintain when I thought that, you know, I mean, I tore up my knees. I tore, I broke my collarbone away from my shoulder, broke a finger in my hand, teeth. But uh, like Wahoo McDaniels told me one night, I came back in the ring and we had a two out of three fall match. And I'm bitching and crying and carrying on about it. And he said, kid, I won't tell you what he used to call me. But anyway, he said, kid, (laughs) you can find sympathy alphabetically in the dictionary. And I think I said this in the book, between S-H-I and syphilis. Look it up alphabetically. (laughs) And it's true, you know. But uh, you just, with the steroids, I kept on going. I mean, like my collarbone was messed up. And I taped it back down, and uh, I tore my groin one time wrestling uh, Nick Bockwinkle. I'm telling you what, boys, you tear something down there like that, you will know it. It will remind you every time you roll over in bed, or you stand up, or you walk, turn, whatever. But uh, the steroids helped it. You know, the, it masked the pain that you had. And uh, that's just the way it, I, I had to, you know, because... That was my life. That was my. I, I'm out of work tonight because I finished the match, and I got to get up in the morning and go to another town and start it all over again. And they're going to pay me for it. Hey, let's pause one second to tell you all about the benefits of using Blue Chew. Guys, remember the days when you were ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in the bedroom with a little help from the Triple Threat Podcast and the two-man power trip. So listen up, bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they are chewable, they work up to twice as fast as any other pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Now, if you know anything about our show, we've always got to be ready. But with Blue Chew, if you can benefit from extra function and more confidence where it counts, then Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Most guys talk a good game, but Blue Chew helps you follow through. So right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com, get your first shipment for free when you use the promo code FRANCHISE and just pay $5 shipping. Again, use the promo code FRANCHISE and pay just $5 shipping. Again, it's bluechew.com B-L-U-E-Chew.com Use the promo code FRANCHISE and try it for free, courtesy of your friends over at the two-man power trip of wrestling and the Triple Threat Podcast. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, and faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring our podcast. You gotta make sure you recover from those injuries and, and make the next town, and at that point I feel like, not to say that I knew for sure, but it, most of the guys seemed like they were 
doing it and looking bigger and looking great on TV because you made a great point. You only have a certain window in time that you're going to be in your prime in the WWF or, you know, in that national spotlight. you got to make it count. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's no way I, I, I hyperextended my right knee in a ring in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, and I'll never forget. I'm talking, you know, the knee bends one way, right? Well, I mine bent the other way that time. If you watch me walk now, you'll understand what I'm talking about. But like Wahoo said, where I could find sympathy, you know. But anyway, Sputnik Monroe, when I tore up that knee, he said, Kid, we're going to buy a gallon of wine. I said, okay. <laughs> Not that I'm a wine drinker. We drank that wine, and he we're in Florida, and there was a pool at his apartment. And I swam in that pool till I thought I was going to throw up. But, you know, the next day, although it hurt a little, I got out there and performed. And uh, God bless you, Spudsy. I know you're in that wrestling ring in the sky, but thank you again, my friend. <laughs> now, in the book, obviously, you know, you talked about so many things, and we're kind of saying wrestling, wrestling, you know, talking about WBF and things like that. But you do talk about life after wrestling, as well. It was that kind of an easy thing to talk about some of the things that happened to you after you know you got out of the wrestling business? Well, you know I gotta change my ear, that one's getting a collar flare up. Okay. <laughs> uh the uh I'll never forget it we were in Odessa, Texas and it was nineteen ninety, just turned nineteen ninety. And I knew that I was getting my walking papers from Vince McMahon, and I walked in there, and I said, before you start, Vince, I said, do I have a job with you or not? And he said, nah. He said, uh, I want you to go down to Atlanta and work for them for a year and come back, and we'll do something with you. And I'm 42 years old tonight. And I said, you know, Vince, I can accept failure when given a chance to fail. I said, but you never really gave me a chance. And I understand I wouldn't figure it in. And it's just like... Wrestling business is like any business. It's political. And maybe somebody didn't care for me or whatever, or maybe they didn't like the way I wrestled. Who knows? Nobody ever said. But uh, I I left. I went back to Dallas. And then I talked to Ivan Putsky, and he had a school down there in Houston. And I, I went down there, and that's where I met Booker T and Stevie Ray, but uh, I just, uh, you know, like I said, I worked out six days a week, an hour to two hours at a time for years, but when I went back to Dallas, I sat home and <laughs> drank beer for three months, never lifted a weight, <laughs> not once, because I was depressed. I mean, it's you do what you what I did for so long, you know, the roar of the crowd, the smell of the popcorn, like Billy Graham superstar used to say. And, uh, I said, yeah, it's just, you, you just, you give your, your heart, your blood, your soul to the business and you, you, all of a sudden it's gone. But like somebody once said, nothing lasts forever, my friend, nothing. It's just like, being a disc jockey, like what you guys are doing, you know, one of these days you're going to have to quit, you know, or you're going to pass it on to somebody else. And it, it, 
it it's the, to me it was depressing because I devoted myself to the business. I I mean I was religious, you know. I even when I first started, I we go to the bars drink and somebody say something about the business, the fight would be on, you know. And, and I I fought many a guy in the bars doing that, you know. But we were protecting what was ours. And uh, anyway, I sometimes veer off in some of these little dissertations that I'm telling you, but hopefully you can catch it all. <laughs> oh, yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. And you do talk about, which is crazy, you know, that, that you had to go through it, you had a heart attack as well, and you talk about that in the book as well. That had to be a tough subject. You know, it's a tough subject to kind of talk about. Well, you know, I, <clears throat> I was working for security. I worked, After I got out of the business, I worked security at the Luxor in uh, Las Vegas for oh, 15 years, something like that. And uh, then I came, went down to, uh, I got a divorce, and I went down to uh, Florida because I had a very close friend, that, and still do, that lived there in Ocala, Florida. And uh, I got a job working uh, at a security company down in St. Pete. And uh, I, uh, <coughs> I <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse, I'm at the cough here. <clears throat> anyway, I came home from work one night, and I felt this tingling in my shoulder. And I felt, it felt like a ghost was tapping me on the shoulder. I thought, what the hell is this? And next thing I know, I started spitting uncontrollably, and then my teeth started hurting. And in my infinite wisdom, I said, something's not right here. Hopped in my car. This was at midnight drove 70 blocks down to St. Anthony's in St. Pete, got out of the car, walked in, and there's three doctors there. And since I'm an old guy now, I said, boys, <laughs> I think I got a problem. And I, they said, explain it. And I told them they like, that was the last time I was on my feet for like three or four days. And uh, it was the strangest thing, you know, because I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what the hell did I do to do this? You know, what I mean, because I trained hard. Matter of fact, the morning that of the night that I had the, the heart attack, I went to the gym. I did 200 leg extensions, and I did squats, rode the bike. So it doesn't matter who you are or what you know. If it's your turn to have a heart attack, you're going to have it. But mine, you know how you see in the movies, people grab their arm and they grimace and all this stuff. No, nothing like that. All it felt like was just something was just kind of tickling me on the shoulder. But when my teeth started hurting, like somebody was pulling them out with pliers, I said, something's not right. So it's just, that's just the way it was, you know. And somebody said, well, you, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me again. They they said, well, it could be hereditary. Well, hell, I never knew my father. I don't know if it was hereditary. My mother never had heart problems. But if it's your turn to have one, you're going to have it. And I guess it was my turn. But it was so strange. I didn't even worry about it. I, just, you know, I woke up, and they're in there, and they had this rod, or not a rod, or a wire, I guess, run through my groin up into my aortic aortic part of my heart 
and they started pulling it out, and the nurse said, this may hurt a little. Well, I'm telling you something, boys. I would rather have had every other part of my body slammed in a door than have this happen again. It was excruciating, the pain. So uh, and I'm not trying to sugarcoat it when I talk about a heart attack, you know. I didn't have uh, Prior to that, even once I woke, after I woke up, I never had any pain or nothing in my chest. I just had a scar on my chest. And then I had, if I could find them, next time I see you, I'll show you pictures of what I look like. I look like somebody was, I was in a knife fight and the only one didn't have a knife, you know. <laughs> uh, but it was, it's a whole different world afterwards, you know. And uh, it took me a while to recoup from it, but, you know, I'm doing fine now. Good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, I'll stick around for a little while longer. <clears throat> Absolutely, and we need and we need you to stick around uh, longer well, as well. And and I highly, highly recommend One Last Ride, the tale of Cowboy Scott Casey. Great book, and there's just a couple little interesting tidbits just to throw out there for some wrestling fans. If you don't know the true story of who Eugene is, now I'm not talking about the wrestler from 2004, Nick Densmore, that character. If you don't know who Eugene is, you talk about him in the book, and then also Dr. Zahorian as well. So those are two huge points that I almost want to tease the fans a little bit about. And if you want to know more about those two guys and you don't know about it, get this book. Because when you talk about that, it, it's so interesting because you're so honest honest about it and it's you're so matter of fact it's like yes that that's awesome that you bring that up you know Zahorian and the Eugene yeah well you know he was our man we went to to get our our steroids and stuff you know and uh Eugene god bless him I don't know if he's still alive he's a little mongoloid guy and he <laughs> always said eh, you know what I'm not going to say it over the radio but anyway right you know yep. but uh what <laughs> Oh, Lord, what he, between the British Bulldogs and me laughing at him, he never missed a stroke, if you know, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, but uh, he just, he was quite a character, you know. There, there were so many of them, you know. I'll I give you an example of a character, and I never knew this young man's name. I'm in the Boston Gardens, getting ready to go on, and I'm peeking through the curtains, watching the matches, and all of a sudden something hit me on the ankle, and it hurt. And I turned around, and here was this little guy. He had two wooden pegs for legs and one peg for his arm, and the other one that he had a cane. And he said, get the you-know-what out of the way. I said, sorry, didn't mean to. You know, I looked at him, and how can you not feel compassion for somebody? And he, he looked like he might have been a dwarf or something like that and I just and I didn't even put that in the book I just now thought about that again there's a few things that I missed that I should have put in there but still uh, you just you be grateful for your health and try to be humble and people like that you know you bend over backwards to help them you know and that's and I, like I said I don't remember the young man's name but he was pardon me a mess and uh I had compassion and felt sorry for him, you know. 
Well, wrestling fans can be grateful and head to the website for the book, which is CowboyScottCasey.com. And not only can they get their hands on the book, but they could also get a signed copy of the book as well. And that's something that if you are a true wrestling fan of the golden age, of the, the age that we all look back at it with, <laughs> with much revere, and we, we wish we could go back to those days right now and watch it every single day, uh, you would get your hands on this book because it is an absolute uh, just treasure of stories. It's a time capsule for the guys that you interacted with, the guys that you were able to work with. And the guys that you called friends. So uh, that's big, basically my big plug that I could give for the website. Again, CowboyScottCasey.com. And then again, you'll be at the gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is next weekend, August uh, 17th and 18th. It'll be down in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you'll be with Nick Massey, the co-author of the book, as well as his group, The Captain's Corner. And he has a litany of amazing guests that he's going to have at the uh, gathering there in Charlotte. And you can head to FreeWebStore.com backslash captains dash corner for ticket information signing times and all that good stuff if you're uh, going to be in the charlotte north carolina listening area for this amazing show that's been almost a year in the making uh, that, that we feel like we've been talking about the gathering but scott before we let you go give us one last plug for the book and again where we can uh, kind of be driven to if we want to get our hands on it well the last ride is what it's called and uh I, like I said, I had to thank Nick Massey. I mean, without him, I could never have done it. Or it, it was just an idea and a dream that I came up with, and I spoke with him, and we met, and he injected the idea of, of doing this in a book. And uh, I think that people won't be disappointed in it. I really don't, you know, because like I said, I put my heart and soul in the business, and I did the same thing in the book. <clears throat> And it's, yeah, it's an absolute, like I said, treasure and just a time capsule of great wrestling goodness. And, Scott, I can't wait to see you next week uh, at the gathering. It's going to be uh, an amazing weekend of wrestlers, amazing weekend of memories. And, um, hey, one more ride. How about that? Not one last ride. How about one more ride? And we'll get you down next week at the gathering. All right. Thank you for having me on your show. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.